Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Glad to have you along. Good morning, Teresa. Sorry you're not feeling well. Uh, I can relate. I have turned the corner, though, and uh, I think uh, by tomorrow I'll be back to 100%, Lord willing. So I pray the same for you. Good morning, the rest of you. Glad that you're here. We are studying the book of Hebrews, and we are going to get through verse 5 of chapter 1 and maybe into verse 6. But I'm not going to rush through this. This is so rich because not only is the point that the writer of Hebrews making here worthy of slow reflection, but our understanding of how to read the Bible is enhanced as we see how the author of Hebrews reads the Old Testament. You know, we talk about the Old Testament being about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And I think sometimes as Christians, we, we hear that, we, we give a, a nod to it, we agree to it, but maybe we don't really dive in and, and see just how that is true and how profound it is that every step along the way in the Old Testament over the span of thousands of years, God was setting up the coming of the Messiah. And he was giving glimpses of what Messiah was going to do. And he was giving predictions and prophecies of exactly what Messiah was going to do. And he gave pictures, metaphors, if you will, living word pictures to anticipate who Messiah was going to be and what he was going to do. And so when we see here in the first chapter of Hebrews, the writer quoting these Old Testament passages and applying them to Jesus, we learned so much about how to read the Old Testament. So we're going to, uh, we're going to go slowly and hopefully if this is new to you, this will blow your mind and change forever how you read the and interpret the Old Testament. It'll be wonderful. So glad you're with us. Uh, good morning, Carrie and uh, Jimmy Vision and the rest of you who are along. So yesterday we looked, uh, began to look at this uh, statement here in chapter one, verse four, where the writer is comparing Jesus and his name to the name of the angels. And he says that Jesus has become better than the angels. He's inherited a more excellent name than they. And the name that Jesus has inherited that is better than angels is the name Son. You see that? For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? So being an angel is great. That's a high-ranking position in God's kingdom and God's universe, but not as high as son. So Jesus outranks the angels because he's a son. And he, he quotes from Psalm 2, which we looked at. You are my son, today I've begotten you. Then he quotes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, and he says, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Now, I know you're getting tired of this, but I'm not going to stop reviewing. This is all leading toward 
the opening verses of chapter 2, where the writer of Hebrews is warning people, if you neglect the message of Jesus, the gospel, if you turn away from the gospel, you are under God's severest judgment because if you received the words of the angels, the old covenant law, and you know that every disobedience received God's wrath, how will we escape God's wrath if we neglect the message of his son? That's where this is going. That's why he's comparing Jesus to angels is because if you walk away from the gospel and the sufficiency of the new covenant, to go back to the old covenant, you'll incur a greater judgment than the, the Jews did under the old covenant. So that's where he's going with this. All right. So we need to go back and look at 2 Samuel 7 and see what the story is there and then see how the writer of Hebrews brings it forward to Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. So this is 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now it came about when the king lived in his house. This is King David. Good morning, Juan. Hola, Dale. Glad you're with us this morning as well. So King David's living in his house. And the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. So David's in his palace and he's... He has conquered his enemies and things are, things are good. Life is good. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. You see what's happening here? David is, is looking at his palace and says, This is a really rich, luxurious palace. But that ark of the covenant, that throne of God, it's in a tent. We've been carrying it around and setting up a tabernacle for it. That doesn't seem right. If I get this big house, surely the, the Ark of God should have a big palatial structure as well to live in. So what's Nathan's response? Verse 3, Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Nathan doesn't even bother to ask the Lord if it's okay if David builds a temple. Oh, I'm sure that'll be fine. Of course, God would want that. Go. The Lord's with you. Nathan here, the prophet, is, uh, is speaking out of turn. Verse 4, that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and say to my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one who should build me a house to dwell in? David, you are being a little presumptuous. What makes you think you are worthy to build me a house? Furthermore, he's going to say, what makes you think I need a house? Verse 6, for I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent, even a tabernacle. Do you notice sort of the implied um, uh, sort of sarcasm here? I'm the one who brought the sons of Israel out of Egypt. I did that, David. Do you think I'm incapable of building myself a house or telling you or someone else when I want a house built for me? 
do you do you think I'm dependent on you? Remember, I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that brought your forefathers out of Egypt, out of slavery. Remember the America, the uh, parable, uh, the plagues. <laughs> do you remember? Remember all that, David? I think I can take care of myself. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? David, did I ever question the leaders of Israel about not providing a house for me? I got this, David. I'm... I'm I, I can take care of myself. <laughs> I can decide when I want a house built for me and so on. That You've overstepped your bounds, David. You have forgotten who you are and forgotten who I am. Now, therefore, Nathan, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. I have armies of angels to serve me and do my bidding. I don't need you, David. I, this is the Lord speaking now through Nathan to David, I took you, David, from the pasture. Just like I took Israel from Egypt, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people. I put you in that position, David, I don't need you to build me a house. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I did that for you. That's why you're here at rest, because I destroyed your enemies. And I will make you a great name, like the names of the great men who are on the earth. David, people are going to talk about you forever. Your name, King David. Someday, some really good sculptor is going to make a very famous sculpture of you. And people are going to travel all over the world and see you and know that's King David. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again nor will the wicked afflict them any more as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. And now, in a moment of irony, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. See what's happening here? David says, I want to make a house for God because it's not right for the ark to be in this uh, tent. And God says, no, 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 no. I am going to make a house for you. You're not going to make a house for me. I'm going to make a house for you. Now, at this point, we have to be thinking, wait a minute. David just said, I have this gorgeous, beautiful palace made of cedar, finest wood in the day. What kind of house does David need? Well, it's not going to be a palace. That's not God's point. Verse 12. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your, literally, seed. 
Here it's translated descendant. I will raise up your seed after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. So now we start getting a hint of what God means when he says, I'm going to build you a house, David. It's not a structure to live in, but a household, a dynasty, a kingdom that perseveres. That's the house God's talking about. Does that make sense? Are you you tracking with us? I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David, your inclinations are not completely wrong. I will have a structure. I will have a house. But you're not the one to build it. It's going to be your son. And I will put him on a throne and he will dwell on that throne forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with a rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So you see what's happening here. God turns the tables on David and says, I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to establish the son, your son's kingdom forever. Peter says, when he commits iniquity. Yeah, good question. So in its original context here, it's pretty obvious what's going on, right? You're going to die, David. You're going to go be with your fathers. And I'm going to raise up your descendant. Well, who is David's son who will take the throne after David's death? We know who that is. That's Solomon, right? So he is going to sit on the throne and God's going to establish his kingdom. We know that's how it plays out. He shall build a house for my name. We know that plays out too. Solomon builds the temple. Remember, Solomon is the one given the great wisdom. He, he, God says, ask for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon says, if I'm going to rule over your people, I need wisdom. And God gives him wisdom, and he's so pleased. He says, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but since you didn't ask for power and wealth, I'm going to give you those too. And that wisdom is a very practical wisdom. David is, is the, I mean, Solomon is the greatest administrator and kingdom builder and, and uh, ingenious inventor and construction manager of all time. The things he accomplished for his day, I think is unparalleled. And he built this gorgeous structure for God to dwell in, so to speak. He did that. He built the house uh, for God. 
And God says, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, and he did. Remember, Solomon did so many great things. He wrote Proverbs, which start with fearing the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. We're studying that on Fridays. I'm teaching through it in New Covenant School of Theology, and there's so much wonderful wisdom in the Proverbs. And he wrote Ecclesiastes, and he, he did so much, Song of Songs. But he married foreign women who worshipped foreign gods, and he allowed them to bring those foreign gods to Israel, and he led Israel into great idolatry. So much, though, that as you're reading the story, you think, at least I do, I don't know, how, how is it that God doesn't just wipe him and the entire nation out? And what do we do with Solomon committing such awful sin? Well, this is what I do with it. God says, when he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. There will be punishment. And in his case, the punishment was God ripped 10 to the 12 tribes from his son. His dynasty did not persevere. He was, he was allowed a small kingdom. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, becomes the king of what we call the southern kingdom, Judah. But it's only the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, a very small kingdom compared to the, the northern kingdom. And it, he, he's lost the vast majority of the nation of Israel. And then eventually it is destroyed by the Babylonians. So it doesn't persevere forever which provokes the question, how can God keep his promise here to David that his son will sit on the throne forever, and yet we know how the story goes, the kingdom is ripped away from Solomon and eventually is conquered by the Babylonians, and they stayed in captivity after the Babylonians, to the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. And then that kingdom is destroyed. Well, God says, my loving kindness will not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you. If you know that story, Saul did things he shouldn't have done. Uh, he took on the role of the priest and so on. And God was furious with him. And the spirit of God rested on Saul. And then when God became angry with Saul, God took that spirit and Saul went mad and he committed great sin, and God was angry, and he judged Saul. God says, I'm not going to do that with Solomon when he commits iniquity. He says, your house, your dynasty, your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. Well, that didn't happen, did it? We know, again, we know how that story ends. Well, the writer of Hebrews, like all of the New Testament authors, they read the Old Testament like a Christian, not like a Jew. 
and they take Jesus's words to heart. When Jesus said, Moses wrote about me, and the law and the prophets and the Psalms are about me. And that everything fulfilled or prophesied about me in the Old Covenant, Old Testament rather, must be fulfilled. So the writer of Hebrews goes back and says, Oh, there's a greater son coming. And they read Isaiah and other prophets that talk about David, the tabernacle of David being reconstructed. The son of Isaiah 9 who will be given, who will sit on David's throne and there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Oh, there's going to be a future son of David. Obviously not the child of Bathsheba or any of David's other wives. But somewhere in the line of David, there is going to be a son who will be given his father David's throne and he will reign forever over God's kingdom. And so they come back to this passage and they realize this is not only talking about Solomon in the near term, but this is talking about Jesus. Now think about it. Think about how the Bible develops this. Solomon built a temple for the nation of Israel to worship God in. And God's presence was there at the Ark of the Covenant. What happened to that temple? Well, in 586, the Babylonians burned it to the ground. Then a little while later, Nehemiah, Ezra, that time period, they were allowed to rebuild a temple. And remember, the people wept because it wasn't as glorious as Solomon's. Years go by, and a Herod especially uh, builds on that temple and makes it a great structure again. What happens to that temple? In 70 AD, the Romans come and burn it to the ground. And right now there's a little bit of the wall left, right? Called the Wailing Wall. Jesus shows up on the scene and he builds a house of God. But it's not made with bricks and mortar. How does the New Testament apply this imagery? It's the church. We are the temple. This greater son of David, greater than Solomon, he is building a house of for God. It's the new covenant people. It's the church. We are that spiritual house. We are that temple. So Jesus sits on the throne of David, ruling and reigning over the new Israel and indeed over the entire earth, because as we saw yesterday, the ends of the earth and all the nations were given as his inheritance. Solomon was given the nation of Israel as his inheritance. The greater son of David was given the entire earth and all the peoples of the earth as his inheritance. And he is building a house for God. It is the church. 
And the writer of Hebrews, like all the other New Testament writers, look back in 2 Samuel 7 and say, oh, this is about Jesus. Now, there are exceptions, of course. Jesus didn't commit iniquity, so that verse doesn't apply. But the bigger picture is so obvious. And here we have the writer of Hebrews quoting 2 Samuel 7, verse 14, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. To make the point, Jesus is the son. Therefore, he is far superior to the angels. Listen to the message of the son. Don't go back to the law that was given through angels. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? And I'm telling you, the more you see this, the more you see how the New Testament authors read the Old Testament pointing toward Christ, it gives you chills. God is the master storyteller. And the Old Testament becomes alive and you see the glory of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. It's wonderful. Now, I had intended to uh, look at the next verse as well <laughs> in Psalm 97, but we will have to save that for tomorrow. I want to encourage you, learn from this. And again, just point of application, whenever you see the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament, go back and look at, the, at that quote in its context and then begin to ask the question, how does the New Testament author bring this forward and apply it to Jesus? And it'll transform your understanding of, of the whole plan of God and salvation and the gospel and what Jesus is here to do. So with that, I'm going to leave you. And uh, tomorrow we'll come back and look at the, uh, uh, the passage in Psalm that he continues to quote. Teresa says, this is incredible stuff. Never saw it in this way. Yep. That's, that's wonderful. You keep pondering this. It'll, it'll blow your mind in such a great way. God's story is awesome. And uh, Jesus is incomparable. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Take care.